Welcome back to Autopsy of a Horror Movie. My name is Brucker, and today I am fortunate enough to be joined by the filmmaker Natasha Kermani, director of the new Shutter exclusive Lucky. Hello, Natasha. Thank you so much for coming on. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I am really excited to have you on to be able to talk about Lucky. Um, congratulations on getting this movie released on Shutter. It's coming out March 4th. Yeah, we're so excited. Honestly, Shutter was always my dream home for the movie. Um, you know, they're so smart. They're so their curation is so creative. And uh, I, I just know that the Shutter people are going <laughs> to really <laughs> respond to the movie. So yeah, I'm, I'm really over the moon that, uh, that we found the home. Oh, that's fantastic. So ha- has the process been real well working with them getting this out? Yeah, honestly, they're amazing. They're so smart. I think they're honestly um, film nerds, right? They're like horror <laughs> nerds <laughs> themselves, which is so great to have that sort of a shorthand. And, you know, they really they've um, we've we've been working with them for for a few months now, and it's just been a really, really lovely experience. So, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of the family. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Um, I am really excited for people to get to take a look at this when it is out on Shutter. Yeah, thankfully, your people were able to get me a screener, and I watched it twice already. And it's—I <laughs> honestly think it's one of those movies you have to watch twice. It's—it's um, it, it's a lot of fun. It's—it's uh, it's kind of like a puzzle, and I mean that in like a compliment. It's—it's kind of complex and kind of a thinker. And I love trying to pick out all the little details and try to piece them together to what at least my theory of the movie is but we'll get to that in a little bit (laughs) Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. before we get to talk about your movie lucky which uh, we will have spoilers for uh, later on this episode so spoiler warning for that what about the horror genre do you like and um would you would you consider yourself a horror fan oh yeah absolutely i mean horror is so huge right so it's like you almost have to be more specific um, within that sort of like broad genre. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I'll say for me, uh, my, my dad um, is a, was a huge cinephile. And so I was very lucky to be exposed to some of the, the, the real greats. You know, I remember sitting down and watching Alien for the first time. And that was sort of a, you know, groundbreaking experience, you know, to... Um, to sort of see, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge sci-fi nerd as well. <laughs> and to see those worlds brought together and to see sort of like that really base level primordial horror movie in that sort of beautiful expressionistic setting was really, um, you know, I was very young when I saw it, but it, it sticks with me to this day for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I always sort of was a lover of genre. Again, I, I credit my dad for a lot of that. He, um, you know, we, we would watch Star Trek together and, and just sort of like crazy sci-fi stuff, you know, world building out there mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And then, you know, as I as I got older, um, he's he's a bit of a scaredy cat. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he kind of drew the line. Even Alien was a little bit. He was like, oh, really? we should fast forward through this part. I'm like, no, this is the good stuff. But <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of up to me, you know, as I got older and I would sort of go you know, back in the day, kids, we used to have things called video stores and um, right. I would go and I would start wandering into the the horror section and, uh, you know, start start grabbing stuff and watching it. And, um, you know, that I think is a really exciting process where you're sort of, um, you know, not that it's taboo necessarily, but you're starting to explore new aspects, right? You're really getting into these darker, darker themes, darker content, um, and, and I think there's like a really fun, semi-secretive um, journey that you mm-hmm. take as a young person diving into horror that was a lot of, um, that was just really great for me. And, and it was something that I did on my own, which I think was really cool. Um, and then, yeah, I think, you know, when I, 
when I was in college, uh, you know, I really, I, I dove really deep into um, Korean horror, right? International oh. horror, French, French New Wave horror. Um, and I think that just took it to the next level, you know, for me and was very, very inspiring. So, so I think it's been sort of a very organic journey for me that started in this like more science fiction, imaginative world and then made its way uh, into, the, into the more straight horror um, kind of thing. So yeah, that's, that's been my journey through horror. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. It, it is a very fun genre to kind of be into. And kind of like how you were saying, it is a very broad spectrum because mm-hmm. there's so many different things that there's so many different like sub genres that like, you could fit into it, like even with drama or thrillers and sci-fi as well. And um, so would you say that so a lot of those movies kind of watched growing up like Alien, uh, were those kind of like, big influences? Um, or I guess like they got you hooked into it. But were those, do you still feel sort of influenced by some of those movies you grew up with? You know what I feel influenced by is the freedom that the genre gave those filmmakers. You know, and they're filmmakers that I, I really, truly love and respect. And I would deep dive into, you know, every every director goes through their Stanley Kubrick phase. Right. And and watching The Shining, you know, 10 times, 12 times, <laughs> really, really dissecting it and seeing cool. The genre is allowing him to have this incredibly expressionistic paintbrush. And so I would say the 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 inspiration is a more mature filmmaker right so so from the perspective of of a filmmaker and not someone who just loves movies and loves to watch movies because those are kind of two different parts of Mm. your brain um i say the influence was the uh the sort of carefree aspect to what these filmmakers were able to do with the genre and i find that incredibly inspiring because horror is so liberating um I, I think that that is very exciting. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the number one thing because again, you can take horror in, in any one of a million billion different directions. So it's really looking within your own creative self and saying, okay, what do I want to express now? And, um, you know, is this the right paintbrush? Is this the right toolbox for me mm-hmm. to, um, it, you know, the, the, the right sandbox in which to play? Um, and you know, for a movie like Lucky, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. the skin of a slasher movie, right? right? Like it's it's that's what we're doing. Um, so I, I find that uh, I just find that very exciting and very liberating, um, and that's I'd say the number one thing. Oh yeah, that's I I love that answer. Um, that's one reason why I kind of started the show is just because I felt like or decided to focus on horrors because. I always felt like that the genre was a really great vehicle for message delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I feel like that you know you could do so many different slashers, but each of them have a different take home and message that they're really uh, trying to convey. And sometimes it takes a couple watches to until you know you kind of get it or it clicks with you. But that's kind of something I've always really enjoyed about the genre is that it's been able to also like address taboo things without it seeing without the movie seeing taboo, you know, at face value sometimes. Well, and horror is very old, right? Like the, some of the earliest stories we have, um, you know, the Epic of Gilgamesh, the, these sort of old mythological stories are, are horror, right? They're, they're exploring themes, these dark themes, death, um, you know, pain, grief, all of these things. This is all, this is a really eternal 
um, mode of storytelling that we've always had. And I think what's exciting about where we're living now is there, again, is, is all of these beautiful layers of horror. Um, and you can go, you know, as subtle as you want, or you can go all the way into the total extreme, you know, punk horror <laughs> aspect and everything in between. And so I think it's a very rich um, landscape that we're in right now, which is awesome. <laughs> it's really awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. So I guess let's go ahead and get into your movie Lucky. Um, I had such a fun time watching this and rewatching it. It was just, it, it's one of those, it's kind of a thinker. Um, I mean, I, I feel like that there are several different messages you could get from this, but um, it was it was a total blast getting into this. Um, this was a movie that was written by uh, Bria Grant. Mm-hmm. And so what, what was it like? What were your first impressions when you got your hands on the script? Yeah, so the script was sent to me um, by one of the producers on the film, and you know he had an instinct that I would respond to it, <laughs> and and I trust him very much. We're we're very close friends, so I was like, okay, cool, I'll take uh, I'll take a look, and um, you know within the first few pages, I was like, okay, well this is fucking different. <laughs> this is not what I've been reading recently. So I'd say right off the bat, just um, just how. <laughs> to put it simply different um mm-hmm. different it was and just completely uh did not care at all about obeying rules of sort of like what a commercial film script should look like or feel like um was initially very interesting to me um i loved that the main character was imperfect i think that that's a really important aspect to bria's script Um, It makes her feel grounded and it makes the issues feel more pertinent and real because she is not sort of this perfect virginal final girl. Um, And and so I was very drawn to that character. I was also reading it with Bria in mind, which is interesting because she Hmm. didn't write it for herself. Oh, really? Um, Right. But but I was sort of reading it, seeing her in the role, which, which was cool. Uh, and then, yeah, so and then I got through to, you know, the third act um, where there's sort of a big reveal and there, the world sort of expands out a little bit. And then that's the point at which I sort of put it down and I, I emailed Bria and I said, hey, I, I you know, I want to do this. Let's talk. Uh, so that that was sort of, you know, by the time I got to that point, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this movie like this is this is really out there. And and I can really sort of like flex my muscles <laughs> with this project <laughs> oh, and try yeah. something different and, and um, take a risk. Right. Like it's such a huge challenge to do a project like this, especially at the scale. It was always going to be a very small indie. Um, and so that that ambition how ambitious the script was um, is really was very uh, appealing to me. I love that word that you use, you know, you, where you had an opportunity here to really kind of flex uh, you know, your skill set and definitely into things that you're interested in with you know, horror and sci-fi. And that was something I honestly was feeling while watching this because um, I didn't do a whole lot of research on uh, you or the rest of the production company production crew or whatever before I watched it. I kind of just wanted to just watch it and then yeah. do all my research and I was just this doesn't feel like an indie movie honestly um <laughs> it, it, like I will say Bless like you. It, <laughs> Bless you for saying that. <laughs> like uh, and that's nothing against you know other indie movies or anything but it it, it is I guess Im- ambitious but it kind of just it felt natural to mm. who who when I was watching it. this feels like it was just sliding into the skill set of whoever was making this. Mm. And um, it didn't feel like somebody was 
banging their head against the wall like how do i get this done like they just yeah. did it and um you know credit to you and everyone else that was involved in this but um it was it was pretty seamless i would say um like i didn't yeah. feel real jerky around or anything like it just kind of just flew so well and i would say like there is one really awesome big set piece in this towards the end that's uh, really rad but the movie as a whole it kind of it was hard for me to pick out like big moments or scenes to like want to dissect out and sort of study because this movie just flows it mm. really does and that's mm. um i mean there are uh, like the the book or not book club the book signing mm-hmm. scene and um some other talks with some of her friends and some of like the detectives and everything but this movie really just flows so well was um yeah. how, how was like the the filmmaking process for this yeah yeah totally um well that is that's a huge compliment because i think um often with indies right you're sort of stealing from paul to pay peter kind of thing if, is that the phrase i don't know you know you're yeah. kind of some of the scenes are suffering because you're you're sort of reallocating and I, we didn't want to do that you know there's always a certain amount, like you said, the parking garage sequence, I always knew we needed to protect that. Um, you know, so, you know, I went in, <laughs> I went in asking for this and I got here, but it still wasn't all the way low. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> we were like, <laughs> we, um, we were able to hold on to some of the, the resources that we needed for that sequence is still extremely tight, but, you know, sort of prioritizing that. Um, I think what you're talking about is really the technical side of of filmmaking. And I think it's absolutely the team, but it's also the approach that the team takes, right? So you're saying we we have incredibly limited resources. We have, we shot this movie in 15 days, which is insane. Um, So, you know, how are we gonna do this, right? Like, what is our approach here? And so always thinking about scope, resources, and that equation, and how to allocate in a way that, um, you know, is gonna best benefit the film, where where to hold back and where to move forward and use your resources. Um, you know, I'm super proud that we really didn't do very much overtime on this movie. It was, we all, we kept within our hours. Um, you know, we, we kept a very safe, calm set, no one running around, <laughs> you know, on fire. It was very, very sort of, um, well-articulated, well-oiled machine uh, that we were able to put together. And that, of course, my this is my very long-winded way of saying okay. prep. <laughs> it's, it's 100% prep. Um, and, you know, even with that, it was very difficult because we had so little money. So we were really asking our team to come and, and trust that we were moving forward and that everything was going to sort of like come together. <laughs> um, and the team really gave 150% on this movie and, and that... That is, you know, showing up to set, knowing what you're doing, having everything that you need or within reason. Um, it's it's all about scope, scale, preparation, um, and uh, resource allocation, right? Um, mm-hmm. Which is a very boring thing, but I really think that's, you know, as a director, you're a business manager, right? Like you're you're 50% business manager, 50%, you know, creative voice. So. Um, yeah, what what you're talking about is absolutely a result of the the management side. Something that I like to discuss on the show and when addressing every movie is kind of getting to this conversation with sort of subgenres of horror that this falls into. Because mm-hmm. I feel like that this falls into a bunch of different things, which is just a blast. Uh, this has 
kind of, I mean, I think at it, it has the, the beating heart of a slasher in it. Um, it's, there's some mystery, some thriller, sci-fi. Um, what, what all, like, am I hitting all of it? Is there other things <laughs> that you feel like this kind of floats into? No, I think that's it. I mean, I think Bria, um, Bria likes slashers a lot. I think that's one of her favorite subgenres. So I think a lot of that comes through in the script itself. It's obviously designed um, as a sort of home invasion slasher type mm. movie. Um, I saw a lot of Scream in the script, sort of the self-referential um, aspect and uh, just the containedness, the idea of being in a house. And so mm-hmm. a lot of the imagery sort of like looking through glass windows and even, you know, a lot of the, the costumes and all that is, it's, I think it's in the DNA of the movie. Um, I think it's Scream one of my is, favorite movies. It's ever, brilliant. Yeah. It's absolutely yeah. brilliant. So, um, that's certainly there. I think if you're doing anything that edges on horror, comedy, or satire, like there's screams going to be in there, you know. <laughs> Any sort of meta sense to it, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now I think Bria takes it one step even more into sort of like absurdist theater land, um, but uh, but certainly Scream is 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 in there as well. Um, for me, definitely the uh, the visuals are a little bit different from a typical American slasher. That's definitely much more influenced by, you know, again, international cinema sort of being a little bit more expressionistic with the lighting, right? You have a little mm-hmm. bit of the Italian vibe where we have colors associated with characters and not being shy about I definitely want to get into that. that. Uh, <laughs> I definitely want to get into that. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, I would say there's for me sort of that's I think what what I was more interested in bringing to the to the visual palette was was a little bit more expressionistic stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely it it, it plays kind of like a slasher at times, slasher thriller, but it it doesn't. It, it's interesting because it doesn't exactly have like the tone of a slasher at times. Does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. the actions are very slashery, but it it's a very it's a more serious tone than what i would say like a scream mm-hmm. has or yeah. some other well slasher. for me i was like this is a movie of the twilight this is a twilight zone movie like that's what we're doing here is is a reality breaking apart movie um mm-hmm. with the and and i think a lot of our crew and cast you know when i when i say this is the twilight zone right people get that and i think that's a big part of the tone where the stakes the stakes are there there is sort of again you, you're wearing the skin of a slasher is, is how i like to think of it but really what we're talking about is is this more sort of um not necessarily character driven but character problem driven mm-hmm. <laughs> where she is getting lost in this distorted reality you right. know and and that is that is not necessarily what a slasher is talking about Right. Mm-hmm. So so that's really at the core of it for me. And again, that's something that I was interested in really bringing in um, rather than just doing a straight slasher. OK, she kills him. He comes back. She kills him. He comes back mm-hmm. trying to see where else we can pull through the themes of, of, of the world uh, distorting. Right. Like you're walking through into this sort of nightmarish version of your reality um, that that to me was at the core of it with with the the details and the skin of a slasher home invasion movie would you say that because of that and i'm not a expert on this subgenre but would you say that everything just said makes it a qualifier for it also being a cosmic horror movie (laughs) sure yeah because i think it is dealing with the nature of reality absolutely i mean there is a question i mean for me uh, the, the start of the movie is she starts moving, again, through the looking glass, right? So talking 
um, about a parallel universe or a different version of her universe. She's walking through and that's why, again, we see so many mirrors, we see a lot of reflections, we see a lot of broken shards of glass and mirrors. It's, that's, that is absolutely mm. her reality um, going away and being replaced with this like crazy fucked up version of it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much for uh, kind of talking to me about that. I yeah. find it kind of fascinating on how, you know, especially this this movie is, is kind of like really interesting to pull, to pick like all the different aspects of it. Like this is definitely from this genre and this is from this genre. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a fun movie to go through. Uh, mm-hmm. Those sort of I've always with. liked, I've always liked the spaces between genres though. Like even mm-hmm. talking, you know, when our, we've started our conversation, I'm talking about alien, right? Alien is part sci-fi, part monster movie, part, you know, <laughs> grounded story about truckers getting lost. <laughs> so it's it's like all of the, I like the spaces in between. I don't, I mm-hmm. get a little bored, I think, when it's just one thing all the way through. Um, so that's, you know, that's that's just my own, what, I'm, what I gravitate towards. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, I think it's really fun to kind of hang out in that gray zone um, in between mm-hmm. things. Um, so you, you mentioned uh, the color earlier and uh, this was something that um was driving me crazy not in a bad sense but just like what does this mean um <laughs> the color blue is everywhere in this movie um I, I think it's in every single shot of the movie somebody's wearing something blue uh may wears blue the entire movie i believe mm-hmm. um the her wine looks blue in the glass she has blue soap <laughs> There's a blue globe in the background sometimes. Like, there's people on the streets are wearing blue. The buildings are blue. I was... Was this just more of, like, an aesthetic choice? Or is there some <laughs> sort of, like, coding here that uh, we're supposed to pick up on? And I understand, like, the, it made the reds stick out so much more. Yeah. With the the man, he's wearing kind of, like, a, a muted red suit a little bit. But there's a lot of things that she walks through that are red and kind of maybe signifying or foreshadowing something. But, um, yeah, just picking up on all this blue was... I was like, I was like that meme of uh, the guy from uh, "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia" with the with the string. Yeah, trying to connect it all. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, uh, I I worked with an incredible production designer, LB Minnick. Um, She is an artist. She's a visual artist, uh, fine artist in her own right. Um, I absolutely adore working with her because she is. Um, absolutely unafraid to do what we were talking about, right? So like to paint with a really expressionistic brush and use all of the tools in your toolkit. Um, (laughs) Again, we're limited by budget, but what we can control, right, is like, what is she wearing? What kind of color soap is she using? That kind of stuff, right? The book cover is blue, yeah. The book cover (laughs) is blue. So the the very, very simple answer is May is blue. (laughs) (laughs) That's her color. Um, I also think blue, I like her as a light blue, like this sort of crystalline, um, very cold blue. So not a, not necessarily a calming blue. It's usually a more energetic blue that you're seeing often sort of tinged with some sort of green or more active color. So it's not a calming blue. It's much more of a um, buzzy blue, I guess is how I would describe it. Um, and so that's her color. And so the instruction there was basically like the the world that we're in is not reality. It's not the world that you and I walk through every day. The movie (laughs) is the world is May. So the house is a reflection of May's mental state of her of her being. 
Um, and so that's why you see her color everywhere and all the little details throughout the house are a reflection of where she is in the film. So the house in many ways is her, her, bri- her brain, her mm. ethos sort of reflected back um, at us. So again, mm. you see a lot of the, blue, the light blue details throughout. Um, there's art that changes throughout the movie. So like paintings will actually switch out as she's sort of oh, very cool. deteriorating or becoming more anxious. Um, the paintings become a little bit more violent. Um, there's uh, another thing we really wanted was female, to- female, uh, uh, the, the female body as a, as a, as a prop. Um, and as a, an aspect of the design, so you'll see a lot of sort of like headless and limbless torsos, <laughs> female torsos. Mm-hmm. Again, it's 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 really it's about violence, right? And it's about this sort of understated, um, uh, insidious sort of undercurrent of violence that's uh, omnipresent uh, throughout the film, um, which of course ties into the larger themes of the movie. But you know, there was just ways for us to visualize that um, on screen. And again, just really going for it and being like. Yeah, everything's blue. <laughs> now the kitchen, the blue kitchen was oh we just goodness, yeah. we just it, found it. It wasn't we didn't paint it. It just <laughs> was the perfect color blue and we're like, great. That's fantastic. We'll, we'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, and then there's LB um, had a, another stroke of brilliance where she found these mannequin hands um, that you'll see throughout the film. Uh, and the hands actually count what day we're in or or what number visit we're at with the man Mm. so on his third visit you'll there's a hand you know there's like hands in the background that will that will have three fingers up or four fingers depending on where you are so just finding little ways to um really articulate where may's mental state is um externalized the the last part of this that's just very very simple is um the movie takes place in one place (laughs) For the most part, and it's gonna get really goddamn boring if we don't make it cool. <laughs> <laughs> so we were like, let's just find cool ways to keep it keep it fresh, so we don't feel like completely bored by being in the same spot all the time. So that sort of was the final final part of that. And and the red, of course, is the color of the man. So uh, May is blue. The man is red. You're correct. His um his outfit uh, is is not actually black or brown. It's actually very deep burgundy red so everything that he's wearing also has red tones in it and the red just basically exists in opposition to uh to may's blue and of course mm-hmm. red and blue are complementary colors um so that's sort of also a part of that you know the man is in opposition to may but is also in many ways a part a part of her uh and, and a part of who you know how she moves through the world um it, he's sort of like an indelible aspect of it <laughs> yeah so yeah that's that's the colors <laughs> okay I, I i just had that was like my, my biggest burning questions because i was just yeah it, it was just everywhere and again i'm not not it's not like a criticism or, or anything i was just like this has to mean something and i was yeah. kind of <laughs> curious because to it like really stuck out to me when she went to her book talk or book signing and there were so many strangers there that were wearing blue clothing as well, but not all of them were. So I was kind of wondering, are they also like needing to learn or going through like the same struggle that May is going through? That's why that, that's like what the coding is, is just kind of like this struggle of accepting and asking and also being willing to help other people. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of like the code, like pe- that, that was like, that was kind of like where I was 
trying to fit my theory into but yet okay yeah that's... absolutely i i think absolutely yeah what you just said makes absolute sense and that's absolutely part of the the intention of the script is all these people are sort of trying to find ways to connect and of course the tragedy and part of the horror is that they're not able to connect and, and help each other uh mm-hmm. in in a meaningful way um but they are trying and that's all any of us can really do right <laughs> I will say um, you uh, briefly brought up uh, the man's uh, costume design or outfit design. Uh, I do want to say I love the simplicity of it. Um, I, I I don't know why I'm so picky about this thing, but um, I'm really picky about masks in horror movies. Uh, you know, Michael Myers works, of course. Uh, so is Jason Voorhees in Ghostface. But like other ones that we kind of see more like modern, I haven't really... I've been kind of put off by them, but I loved this one. Just kind of like just, just slightly distorted, kind of like clear coating mm-hmm. over the face. I was like, that's it. That's all we need. It needs to be simple. I loved it. Um, mm-hmm. and minimal, minimal. Yes, yes, exactly. And I, that was when I first saw the trailer. That was one of the things that stuck out to me the most. I went, oh, this is this this could potentially be something that could scare me because I don't think that the antagonist mask looks goofy. I think it actually looks very creepy and something that somebody might actually use maybe yeah yeah uh absolutely so the the mask is designed by jeff farley who's um really wonderful creature designer prosthetics artist um and the uh, the impetus behind the mask is that you question if they're if he's wearing a mask or not Mm. so this is about real horror and the real, the reality is, if you think someone is following you, you don't always, he's not wearing a goofy mask, right? He doesn't have like a sheep's head on his head. It just looks like a person. Um, and so we, that's really where we wanted to start. And, and the idea being, you know, I pulled a lot of um, paintings and art where uh, the artist or the sculptor was playing around with distorting the face as it is. Oh, cool. So sort of um, very subtle use of, of sculpture to sort of, uh, have have a otherwise, you know, quote unquote, normal face that's distorted in some way. And so that was sort of like the groundwork, um, the initial sort of mood boards that we were bringing in. And then Jeff really brought it to the next level. And he was the one who sort of said, okay, we probably don't need to put any color or texture. We can probably just have the clear material and then let uh, Hunter, Hunter Smith is the name of the, the uh, actor who plays the man, let his features come through. And, and Hunter has a very striking face and he's a great, great physical actor. So that also allowed the actor then to emote. <laughs> so we can see his eyebrows, we can see the shape of his mouth, we can see all those things, but it's being distorted ever so slightly by by the, the mask that's sort of moving the flesh of his face in, in bizarre ways. Um, Jeff also had a great uh, stroke of brilliance that I absolutely love. If you go back and watch the movie again, you may notice <laughs> um, the masks have the names of the women that they're hunting uh, over their oh. mouth. So it looks like some sort of scar tissue or something like that. But if you if you take the mask off and look at it, you can see very clearly it says May um, or Edie's man says Edie. Uh, and so that was sort of a lovely little note that he brought through that I, I, I just loved so much. And, you know, you you can see it in some of the shots. Um, but I think even if you're not explicitly registering that it says her name on his mouth, I think that it's there and that it, um, you know, it has sort of that subliminal effect that you feel that there is something personal about 
this guy, you know, like he is really after her. So um, the the overall look for him. So in this script, the man is written to be much more Michael Myersy. He's supposed to be sort of like a big hulking guy. And um, one of the producers on the film, Rob and I were talking and, you know, Bria is a very small person. <laughs> And just logistically, I, you know, we were kind of struggling. It was like, man, if, if this huge, like, 6'5 dude is coming in, like, she can't defend herself against, you know? She has to be, like, a fucking awesome martial, martial artist, and we're she's supposed to be the every woman, right? Like, mm -hmm. how, you know, so, so it was just that basic visual disconnect of, like, I don't know if that's so believable. Like, okay, maybe she can... I don't know. It's just, it didn't really work for me visually. So we started talking about casting someone who was a little bit closer to Bria in size, which of course ended up working beautifully with the themes of the film. Yeah. Because of course, you know, if every woman has her own demon, the demon would reflect that woman in some way. So, um, you know, that there's not one monolithic man out there, but that they actually are reflective of the woman that they are hunting. Um, which I love and came out of, it came organically out of that conversation of just being worried visually, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. having these two people on camera and seeing Bria, you know, without having any real fighting skills able to defend herself night after night was just, you know, it was pinging me a little bit wrong. So, uh, it came out of that. And then, um, we love, uh, Mads Mikkelsen and Hannibal. <laughs> <laughs> and so we were sort of playing around with that idea. Okay, what if his hair is like beautifully put together and he's actually kind of well-dressed and a little bit posh, you know? And I, and I think Rob said, you know, posh, beautiful. That has to be his vibe, you know? <laughs> which I loved. I loved it. I was like, yes, that's so, that's so up my alley because, again, it's just leaning even more into the Twilight Zone aspect of this where he is... Uh, he is not a Michael Myers, right? This is some guy who... He's not you this could... gross zombie, yeah. No, he could be walking down Financial District in Manhattan, you know, walking home and, you know, almost more Patrick Bateman-y, if anything. Yeah, so, oh yeah, yeah. So that, that was, a, it came out of a lot of conversations, but I'm very happy with where we landed. And then of course the final piece was uh, Casting Hunter, who's just wonderful, um, wonderful, uh, physical performer. He's also a, a beautifully uh, capable dramatic actor, which was also very important. So, so you know, we could kind of have discussions. And even though he doesn't have any lines, he's very much a scene partner with Bria in, in all of his sequences. Oh. So. Yeah. Uh, I, quick joke. I just want to squeeze it. I was like, should I feel guilty that I like wish I could like have that hair? Um. I know. This <laughs> <has> beautiful hair. <laughs> yeah. No, that's absolutely. That was part of it. And, and you know, I, I love Dracula and I love I love these getting into the to the subtleties of it. And again, that's a little bit unusual for a slasher, right? Because in a slasher, it's usually like it's someone who is scary mm -hmm. um, right off the bat. Whereas we were we're kind of toying with. Is there something wrong with his face? Is it a little bit weird that he's wearing that overcoat? You know, it's like all those, it's much more small little detailed things, um, you know, that, yeah, and absolutely, like hair envy, yeah. for sure. And, <laughs> and it also kind of just adds to, I guess, like a creepiness, to, especially the, the reveal in the beginning when uh, Ted, when Ted kind of just explains, you know, what's going on here. Oh, that's the man that comes here every night. And you kind of just go, that guy? Really? That, that guy? He's the man? Not, not you know, someone who looks really dirty or gross or, yeah. uh, you know, you kind of, you, you maybe you think about, 
uh, Vince Vaughn's character from Freaky, how just disgusting he was in the slums he was living in. But no, it's this guy that looks like he uh, took a shower and spent 45 minutes working on his outfit before he Mm -hmm. came here to kill you. Yep. Um, Yep. (laughs) That's his vibe. uh, Because that's May's vibe. That's mm -hmm. the thing. Like, she's very put together. So you'll notice, like, she's buttoned all the way up, right? Like, Mm -hmm. her shirt, the top button is done. Everything is just so. Her braids are perfect, you know, until they're not. But... Um, again, he's a reflection. Everything in the movie is a reflection of May. Yes. And her, May, and the man mirror each other so much in this. Exactly. And, like, there's times where they have the same, like, he comes with the same weapon that she has. Or yes. especially all the times that they fall on the ground together, their uh, body positions are mirroring each other. Exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. all that was very cool and just kind of fun to pick up on. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so much There's so much in there. And I think mm-hmm. the, Bria started it because uh, she wrote in that his weapons always reflect May's weapons. So that's in the script. And, mm-hmm. and it doesn't really go any farther than that. So we sort of, the team sort of, we decided, okay, let's take that a few steps farther. Let's really make them like twins. You know, I'm really interested in this idea. You're talking about cosmic horror that there's the idea that there's, you know, the yin to her yang and that there is, um, there is sort of a, a connection between them, right? He shows up wherever she is. He's connected to her, um, in the way that, you know, if you want to say he's the embodiment of fear or abuse or, or trauma or whatever, you know, you, you choose to see it within him, he is tied to her in mm. that way. And, and so all of these visual choices that we're making are all, um, you know, in, in, uh, in accordance with that core idea that they are, they're sort of circling each other in this crazy reality. <laughs> you know like two planets he's like tethered to her (laughs) oh yeah it's kind of like they're like this dyad in this yeah alternate reality that they're that they're living in um you just mentioned that he could maybe you know be like the embodiment of fear um that's something i like to talk about here is kind of do like a little fear analysis and what you know what all the the types of fears that this movie taps into um Mm -hmm. i kind of go off of a uh, basis of five common fears, according to psychologist Dr. Carl Albrich, that we all share, which are extinction or death, uh, mutilation, loss of autonomy, separation, and then uh, humiliation or shame. And mm-hmm. while this movie, it obviously there's in most, almost pretty much every slasher or horror movie, there's that fear of death in this. But I really felt a sense of uh, loss of autonomy and some like separation as well. Um, loss of autonomy, pretty much coming from She's, to me, kind of like just stuck in this altered reality that uh, you've, that we've been talking about. And she, in her uh, book signing uh, scene, she talks about, you know, being able to ident- identify patterns and to like kind of like address those things. And that was kind of something, her character, that was it's something that she was struggling with, or like a moral that she was supposed to learn was, you know, it's accepting help and helping others as well mm-hmm. um and it kind of starts off right at the very opening scene of the movie where her publisher mm-hmm. is you know saying maybe we could agent yeah. her mm-hmm. agent saying that we can maybe name the the next book go at it alone together and she kind of rejects that title and she at the book club she's kind of talking about how you know we're going at it everything alone she everybody all her friends we see are surprised when she does eventually ask for help she refuses to help other people in the garage except for the person that she knows and um my interpretation was that uh of the movie was that 
this this is possibly a time loop that she's stuck in or just an alternative reality and she can't escape it until she learns this 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 lesson or this moral that of helping if you're in a position to help others um maybe you have a moral obligation to do so and also Mm -hmm. to accept it as well and that's kind of was like my interpretation is that like what this character was going through and that she has because she's rejecting all this she's having this loss of autonomy because she can't escape this weird reality mm-hmm. and that to me is yeah. really scary just not being able to um try your hardest you know she because she keeps trying but all of her efforts are just fruitless because she can't get out of the situation that to me is just really terrifying i i agree i i think one of the scare the probably the scariest um you know scarier to me than a slasher or a creature feature is the like i'm lost in a nightmare movie I think that that's, you know, like an event horizon or, or mm-hmm. you know, when you just you're just stuck and that's it um, is is the scariest. <laughs> and that is exactly what's what's happening to her. She's basically stuck in the nightmare. Um, and, and that's exactly right. She you know, it's in the title of her book is Go It Alone. Uh, and she is a self-help author. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she's she's it's all of these things where this is a woman who is supposed to have all of the answers. And Mm. what happens when, you know, her usual go to like just shove your way through the problem and go it alone. And, you know, when that isn't the answer anymore or maybe there is no answer. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Maybe this is just like she says, this is just how it is. And, um, you know, you just got to, you know, do what you can and try to help the people around you, which, of course, she's really unable to do throughout the movie. Uh, absolutely. That's a part of it. A big part of the early character conversations that I had with Bria was, um, you know, what you're talking about as macro themes is absolutely in the DNA of the film. But in terms of the character work that she's doing, you know, I, 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 I uh, encouraged her to play the character as someone who's constantly looking for a solution. So she's a solution based person. Every problem has an answer. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And of course, the movie is there's conflict in the movie because there's no answer. It doesn't fucking make sense. She kills him. He comes back. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So what the hell are you supposed to do then? So that's kind of on the micro level um, how we played it, because I think, again, this is a testament to Bria's performance. But it's it's very difficult to keep the stakes grounded and to keep the character grounded when you're dealing with such crazy heightened, again, expressionistic, you know, the dialogue that the characters are saying makes no sense at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, how do we kind of, what, what, how do we enter into the scene work? How do we find our way through the scenes? And again, it's, it's, I think you, I think your interpretation of the film is, um, is exactly right. Uh, in that it is ultimately, uh, it, within herself, her own inability to, um, ask for help. Yes. But also say, I don't have the solution within myself, right? Like mm-hmm. I cannot find, I cannot answer this alone. <laughs> I need to be part of a community in order to do that. And of course, that's a larger statement on um, where we're at, right? Mm-hmm. Like women as a whole, as a community, um, obviously we're, women are not monolithic, right? There's different types of women. There's different types of problems that women face. And, um, you know, they're the 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 solution or the way forward is only possible through community and it's not it's not a solo thing that can mm-hmm. happen <laughs> and, and that was also a, a bigger much bigger message in the movie as well was mm-hmm. just kind of unfortunately uh just how 
I guess dangerous it is to be a be a woman or be a woman be a woman today. Um, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. they talk about her being alone in a parking garage. Uh, she doesn't need to worry about being home alone during the day, but at night's a different story. Everybody's asking, "Where's your husband?" You'll probably be safer with him. Um, yeah, that was a, a big message that was kind of in this as well. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the impetus for it. I don't want to speak for Bria, but she the 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 concept for the movie did come from a personal experience and sort mm. of being gaslit herself and um, sort of the the bizarre conversations and circumstances that came out of that experience. Um, so that is very much grounded in reality and it's been really interesting. Uh, a lot of uh, women who watch the movie, you know, have reached out or, or have responded to the film feeling like this is my experience, right? Like obviously I... <laughs> there's not you know i don't live in a twilight zone but the 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 core of it is reflective the rules of my, are the, kind of the same the rules are are real it, it's a real thing all of the, everything is real and you know even in this the way that we um you know we worked with an incredible uh woman stunt coordinator and you know i really it was really important to me that may the way she fights the way she defends herself is not like super cool or like i kind of liked it but yeah, yeah. i'll say Right, but but meaning she's not a superhero, right? Like she's very much just a normal woman who's just trying to like survive a crazy situation, and that was incredibly important to me that it, the the violence feels grounded and the, the violence, even though there's very funny moments that come out of it, the there's nothing heightened about the violence because that is real and mm-hmm. that's not okay to um, glorify or to make it sexy and fun. Right. Uh, because that those were the parts that was very important to me to feel real and not like she's suddenly doing like judo kicks and stuff. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that was something that I did appreciate was just how because every time I'm watching like you know, scream or whatever, I'm always thinking, you know, just just bull rush them, just throw your body at them. They can't yeah. <laughs> they can't they can't hold you up. And I really appreciate that's the, that was the tactic. She threw yeah. in her shoulder into everything. Yeah. I love that. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that was all Helena. That was that was our stunt coordinator because I was kind of like, look, I've never really like been in an all-out fight, so I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna lean on you here <laughs> to tell me like what to do, what would feel right. And so a lot of the conversations, and again, talking about prep, um, you know, we had uh, I think like one or two days where we went to a gym uh, with Hunter and Bria and the stunt coordinator and Bria's stunt double, and just sort of like worked through the the machinations of the fights. And again, the fights are not they come and go very quickly. Um, they're not, there's no emphasis on the fights themselves, but I did want to make sure that it all felt, um, more or less grounded. Uh, and again, she's not doing like crazy Trinity, you know, kicks and moves and stuff. Like she's just a normal lady. And, and I want to also say, you know, another thing that I really liked about Bria's script is I felt that it was, I think that there's a lot of virtue signaling (laughs) Hmm. and I think that there's a lot of people who, um, want to have a raw, raw, you know, postmodern feminist moment of we're all in this together. We're going to take down the man, you know, uh, all this, all this sort of, um, social media lends itself to it, right? Like we're all getting together and it's, we're all cool and here we go. And the truth is, I think the reason we're still in this shit is because we there are problems within our community and you know white feminism exists that is absolutely a thing Um, transphobia exists 
And so I love that the movie doesn't shy away from that and that mm -hmm. she does have that moment of like, look, I'm sorry, I can't help all these people. Like I can barely take care of myself, right? <laughs> and mm -hmm. we see her being selfish and I loved that. And that's actually one of the first things I talked to Bria about was like, I love that it makes this, this script and this character makes me look at myself and say, when were there opportunities when I could have been better? I could have been a better ally. Um, but I was too wrapped up in my own experience and my own problems or whatever was going on. And so I missed an opportunity um, for connection, for real, uh, for real solutions, for real change. And I think that without looking at those less savor effects of whatever you want to call it, feminism, <laughs> uh, mm. you know, the, the, the search for equality, without looking at ourselves with a, through a critical lens, we will never really, you know, have the conversations that we need to be having. So I, I, I like that about the mm -hmm. movie. And I, and I hope that people can have good discussions about the, the problems and, and the problems that she creates, you know, um, mm -hmm. out of it as well. Uh, but before I get to some of our ending stuff, I wanted to ask, uh, just you know, on a personal level, what a so there, there's lots of I would say cool methods of death in this movie for for the man <laughs> of way he dies. Um, just on just either just purely just watching it from you know just like an audience member or directing it. Uh, was there one sort of kill that that you enjoyed the most from either perspective, making it or just oh. watching it? that's a great question um i really I, I liked the bed fight a lot um because it felt the most dangerous mm -hmm. uh and, and i i enjoyed the challenge of that and keeping it super intimate and it's a very small fight um and and i really enjoyed that and uh just her like sort of classic like again kind of scream classic slasher moment of her bringing the two-handed knife down into his back was was very satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> and Hunter sold the hell out of it. It was really fun yeah. to see him sort of do the, dup, dup, you know, down was, was, was a lot of fun. Uh, but no, I would, I, I would say that. And then, of course, the parking garage, just seeing um, all the different all the different fights and all the different men was 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 a lot of fun. Yes, that was that whole like set piece in the parking garage was just great and really fun to, to watch as well, especially with it was it was a very like kind of like transformative part of the movie because that's where you really felt like some okay reality is weird in this is not just me and you know you you know all of the lights change and we you know we're kind of seeing her constantly say no no to other people but yeah um how how was it uh, directing like those fight scenes especially those like intimate ones that you talked about um was that Oh, I is, love is it. Is that challenging or was it kind of... Oh, it's super fun. No, yeah. it's great. It's great. I love stunt people. Um, they're some of my favorite people to work with. Um, I find that they're incredibly creative and great storytellers. And I love the idea. You know, it's, it's, it's a form of dance. It's a, it's a physical yeah. expression of what's happening in the scene. Um, and so I love that. And I, and I think also... You know, we're talking a lot about the um, more liberating aspects of, of a horror movie. And I think with the with the fight sequences, you can also get really creative with your camera work, with sort of your coverage. Um, we shot a lot of those sequences with two cameras just um, for time. So most of the movie is single camera, but the most of the fight scenes are, are two cameras. 
which, um, you know, was really just logistical choice to be able to <laughs> get yeah. as much as we can out of each of the fights. But I think that was actually really great for the stunt people because I think they could just figure out their choreography and then uh, we'd, we would just nail do it until we felt like we had nailed it. Um, but I, I absolutely adore stunt people. I love working with them. And um, <laughs> there's going to be stunts in everything I do because I just love working with them. <laughs> That's awesome. I got to say, I think my... I kind of had like two favorites. One was, I think the first one that she had where she pushed him down the stairs. Yeah. I just love, I, just, I love the build up to it. Cause she kind of got to the top of the stairs and she turns around and she just goes, just fuck this. And she just, <laughs> she just shoves him down the stairs. I was like, yes, like use your body, like, use gravity here. Yeah. Like, it's great. And, um, I think just from like style points, uh, perspective, I love the, that she stabs him in the neck was like real slow. And then, <laughs> It comes out and blood just pours all over her from that style was points. That was that was. You know that, what? I, I have to rescind my former statement. The most fun was actually pouring pouring blood on Bria's face. <laughs> that, that was definitely the most fun. So. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Um, well, well, I guess we'll kind of start to wrap things up here. But um, what are some sort of future projects that you would I don't know, like to kind of get your hands on? Do, do you want to stay in the sci-fi horror genre, or you know, other kind of like other things that you? are interested in getting into yeah absolutely um i again my 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 first love is science fiction so um i'm, I'm hoping to do something with you know continuing down the road of of creating crazy worlds i think that's really interesting and, and one of the most fun aspects of uh, making a film is being able to create the world um rather than you know just a sort of documentary approach of capturing the world as it exists i think i'm I'm, I'm intrigued by, you know, how far can we go with really creating and controlling every aspect of the world that we see on screen. Um, so whether that's in a horror, straight, more horror, straight horror context or, you know, a version of, of, of the past, right? So like a period project or, or a science fiction of some sort. Um, I certainly want to continue playing with the world, world creation is, um, is, is a lot of fun. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Natasha, thank you so much for coming on. This was it was such a lovely experience being able to talk to you about this movie. You're so knowledgeable about all this stuff. It's always really fun for me because normally when I'm doing research, you know, I'm trying to watch YouTube videos with them or whatever. So it was really awesome when I get to <laughs> take advantage of just hearing it straight from the you know creator's mouth. But yeah, yeah. it's thank you so much for coming on. Um, everyone, be sure to go to Shutter and watch lucky it will be available march 4th i will be releasing this after march 4th but uh, <laughs> uh everyone be sure to go to shutter and check out uh, natasha's movie lucky and thank you so much for coming on thank you thank you for the great questions mm -hmm.